Hey friends, we hope that the Victory Series was a blessing to you just like it was for us. We're currently working on another series specifically for husbands, so make sure that you stay with us for that. The show that you're about to hear was produced back in 2019 as part of a series where we looked at various subjects like repentance, brokenness, worship, etc., and we asked, what role does this play in finding freedom from pornography? This specific show is going to focus on the subject of deliverance, and we think that it dovetails really nicely with a lot of the things that you heard in the Victory series. If you're new to our podcast and you like this particular episode, the rest of the What Role series is available wherever you get your podcasts. You can just look for episodes 353 to 361. Let's get into it. The thought that I could instantly be delivered of sexual sin by a pastor casting a demon of lust out of me flooded me with hope. I was thrilled by the possibility of being set free. But over time, I was forced to acknowledge to myself that nothing had really changed. Lust was thriving in my heart as vigorously as ever. If you've struggled with addiction to sexual sin for many years, You know the feeling of overpowering temptations that come suddenly, where you feel helpless to do anything except give in to your lust. You may even have pleaded with God to take away the temptations, but to no avail. Have you ever wondered if more is going on than you can see? Many men wonder if they've opened the door to a demonic spirit that is forcing their hand into sin. As we continue our conversation on the keys to overcoming sexual addiction, we ask the question, what role does deliverance play in freedom from porn? Just the mention of the word deliverance conjures up all sorts of images in people's minds. Obviously, if we're talking about deliverance, we're assuming that there's something from which a man must be rescued, and that something is demonic influence. Here at Pure Life, we take very literally and seriously what the scripture teaches about the devil and his demonic hordes, And we know that the activity of the hosts of darkness is no less real today than when Jesus walked the earth. We still have an adversary who's aiming to steal and kill and destroy. And we are called on to resist him and to engage in spiritual warfare. And so people who share this biblical view with us want to know, do we at Pure Life believe that men in sexual sin need deliverance from demonic possession? And our answer to that question is an unequivocal yes. Absolutely. Men in sexual sin have opened the door wide to demonic activity in their lives and desperately need deliverance. Let me share how our perspective on this might differ from some other voices on the subject. Many people believe that there are demons of lust who have a particular assignment and a particular weapon, and that if a person views pornography or engages in sinful sexual behavior, it opens the door to demonic activity. 
Some even use the term that now these demons of lust have a legal right to oppress and harass them. In effect, a person who has given into sexual sin has granted them the permission to attack. And many people now are teaching that there's a specific ministry of deliverance that someone in sexual sin should take advantage of. This deliverance ministry often includes prayers that are designed to give people freedom by binding and loosing demons, casting them out, canceling generational curses, renouncing soul ties, and they declare that these prayers will set the prisoner free. Many people have been told that the reason that they're tempted in the area of sexual sin, the reason that they struggle, or even the reason that they're addicted, is because they have this demon. The demon is the problem. And if they're delivered from the demon, then they won't struggle anymore. But a common side effect of this teaching is that the sinner now has someone else to blame for their own choices and their sinful behaviors. The internet is littered with sites that offer deliverance prayers, and they promise if you just pray these words, you'll be set free. Now, obviously, every Christian should believe in the power of prayer and in the power of faith and in the promises of Scripture. Jesus himself told us, ask, seek, knock, pray in faith. But prayer should never be reduced to seeking a magic formula or some kind of Christian incantation that will render a desired effect. So there's a whole segment of Christian teaching dealing with the area of deliverance, and it seems to be built on a few isolated texts which are pulled out of context and then used to create an entire theology, an entire methodology of deliverance. If you say these words, or if you can find someone who's a trained practitioner in deliverance, and if you do these specific things, then you will be delivered. That's what is out there. And let me just say, this has never been our experience. A great many of the men who have passed through Pure Life in the last 30 years went the deliverance route first, with great faith and great desire, only to come to us for help in the end. In 2019, we produced a series of videos called 20 Truths That Helped Me in My Battle with Porn Addiction. And in the seventh video in this series, Pastor Steve Gallagher talked about his own personal experience with trying to find freedom in a deliverance ministry. I want to begin this segment by referring back to my testimony again. It was 1984 and I was in trouble. I had had a powerful experience of repentance with the Lord two years earlier and quit my job on the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department to attend Bible school in Sacramento. But little by little, the enemy chipped away at my spiritual life until I finally gave up and backslid. Now I was back into sexual sin worse than ever. The problem was that even though I had repented of my rebellion to God's authority over my life and committed myself to wholeheartedly following Him, there was still lodged within me a stronghold in the area of sexual sin. 
This was the same serpent that had destroyed my resolve to follow Christ years earlier. So in 1984, the Lord seemed to lead Kathy and me to a little deliverance church in Sacramento. The thought that I could instantly be delivered of sexual sin by a pastor casting a demon of lust out of me flooded me with hope. Once again, I committed myself to the Lord and swore off indulging in sexual sin. We immediately started attending services at that little church at every opportunity. For three months, Kathy and I were given a steady diet of teachings on spiritual warfare and participated in numerous deliverance sessions. Members of the church would gather around me, laying hands on my shoulders and binding demons and ordering them to come out of me. I was thrilled by the possibility of being set free. But over time, I was forced to acknowledge to myself and my wife that nothing had really changed. Lust was thriving in my heart as vigorously as ever. Even before I arrived at this conclusion, I was already struggling with a nagging feeling that what I was hearing simply didn't line up with scripture and didn't leave me with the sense that it was true. We finally decided that that church wasn't for us and quit attending services there. This was a bit confusing because we really had believed that the Lord led us there. Later, when I looked back on that experience, I could see why he sent us there. He knew our life's work would be in the area of helping believers find freedom from the hold of sexual sin. We really needed to experience for ourselves the fact that that kind of deliverance ministry simply doesn't work. And over the years, I would deal with many desperate people who wanted to know if there was any validity to the quick fix deliverance seemed to offer. I could say from experience that I'd been there and didn't find anything to it. So that leads me to the question about whether or not a Christian can have a demonic stronghold. Some ministers strongly claim that it would be impossible for a believer to have a demon. Others point at the reality of what they see, Christians bound up in various demonically inspired habits. Which group is right? I think I can offer some thoughts that will bring a little light on the subject. First of all, the Bible only uses the word stronghold in a spiritual sense one time. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul said, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Well, if you do a thorough study on the context of that chapter, you'll find that the Apostle Paul was having to defend himself against certain antagonists in the Corinthian church who were accusing him of ministering in the flesh. His statements were a defense against that accusation, and he was probably referring to the Greek idolatries lodged in the corporate consciousness of the masses living within the realm of the Roman Empire at the time. Actually, I think he did more to deal with the subject in Romans chapter 6. In that chapter, he said, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? According to Paul, it is sin that masters a person. And the truth is that demons are not even mentioned in either of these chapters. 
Having said that, I want to be quick to add that there is no question that demons play a significant role in the establishment of strongholds of sin within people. It's clear that the enemy exploits the power of habit in a person by leading him back to his pet sin over and over again until the love of that sin is deeply entrenched within him. They do this through the power of suggestion. What I mean by that is that demons have the ability to present to a person's mind memories of pleasurable experiences of the past, as well as the ability to conjure up fantasies of potential sexual encounters they can pursue in the immediate. So while I do believe the enemy plays a huge role in building the fortification, I think the actual stronghold is sin, not a demon. And there's a big difference between the two. The Apostle John offered important insight on the subject when he referred to the works of the devil in his first epistle. I'm pretty sure that these evil works are actually the spiritual strongholds we've been discussing. Of course, these works of the devil can only occur with the willing compliance of the victim. In other words, the door to a person's heart can only be opened from the inside. Therefore, the enemy vigilantly watches for any opportunity to gain entrance. Once a demon is allowed to establish a foothold of sin within a person's soul, it's often only a matter of time before he solidifies it into a stronghold. The works of the devil often manifest themselves as fetishes, phobias, hang-ups, or addictions. Just the kind of nasty slime one would expect a serpent to leave behind. By establishing a stronghold of sin within the person, the enemy is able to gradually deform the person's character into something as ugly, corrupted, and morally repulsive as they are. They accomplish this by building up intricate webs of pride, ambition, lust, selfishness, and faulty thinking within the person. The greater the person's compliance with the enemy, the more his soul will be depleted of anything good and meaningful. But consider the Apostle John's amazing insight into how the Lord can reverse the enemy's efforts found in the third chapter of his epistle. He said, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And this is my testimony to you, that the Lord has the power to demolish any stronghold the enemy has erected within you. We'll get into how he does that in future segments, but for now, let me just assure you of this. Whom the Lord sets free is free indeed. Now, I can hear a listener saying, Are you saying that the work of the enemy and sexual sin is really that small of a deal? Because I feel completely bound. I know what it's like to have an overwhelming temptation come upon me, and I feel as if I have no power to resist it. If only I could be delivered from these temptations, I would be fine. Are you telling me that there is no need for deliverance? No, that is not what we're saying. We absolutely believe that the enemy has real power in people's lives. As I said before, his influence is just as real today as it has ever been. So what we are saying is that someone does not need an experience of being delivered from a demon. It's just not that simple. 
I know that for the man who is bound by sexual sin, this problem seems insurmountable. It's bigger than you, and if you could get free on your own, you would have done it by now. You need a great deal of help. What we want you to see is that God is after so much more in you than just getting rid of your sexual sin. The problem is actually bigger than you thought. And that's why we've been doing this series of shows on what it takes to find freedom from pornography, because it takes much more than just a deliverance prayer. God wants to show you the reality of your sin, and he wants you to take responsibility for it, not blaming anyone else for your own choices. He wants you to really repent and to turn from your sin, and not just your sexual sin, but also anger, fear, anxiety, unbelief, hatred, bitterness, apathy, and whatever else he shows you. He wants to teach you to humble yourself so that you can live in the grace of God. He wants to teach you to fight and to resist temptation when it comes. He wants to teach you real and complete surrender to his will over your life. He wants to build your faith. He wants to lead you into biblical consecration where you offer your life as a living sacrifice. Do you see? He wants so much more than for you to find freedom from one life-dominating sinful habit. He wants the transformation of your entire life. Now that we've shown you the big picture, let's get back to deliverance from sexual sin. When sin has established a stronghold within you, it can take a long time and a lot of work to tear it down. And many people ask, if God is so powerful, why doesn't he just come in and set me free? So in this final segment, Mike Johnston talks with Kathy Gallagher and Brad Fergus about why freedom comes slowly. We're talking with Brad Burgess. Brad is the director of the Pure Life Ministries Live-In Program. Brad, thanks so much for coming in and talking with us. Thanks for having me, Mike. Brad, we want to talk today about this subject. Freedom comes slowly for a reason. Now, we know that when we look at men who are struggling with sexual addiction, that there are those cases where God just supernaturally sets a man free. But for the most part, that's not how it happens, is it? Not at all. Our experience has been that most of the men who come to us look for a miracle, a quick miracle, mm. quick pill, a quick fix, because we live in our microwave society, and they yeah. want God to heal me right now right? so I can get on with my life. The miracle that they're looking for starts when they repent and they make a decision to turn, but the process of being set free, it takes time to really come into true freedom. It's not an easy thing at all. And that really shouldn't be surprising because so many of, of them, and us included, were in it for so long that it's also going going to take a long time to work our way out or uh, really let the Lord work us out of that hole we've dug ourselves into. Right. The way I've shared with counselees in the past is that there is a reaping Mm. for what you've Mm -hmm. sown. You repent, you come to the Lord, he cleanses you, he gives you a new start. But part of the reaping for all the years of being in self-will is the fighting out of that rut. But God's in it with you if you truly repent. You know, the process of all the years that they spent thinking a certain way that got them to the place where they could 
actually do the things that they do. It took time for them to come into that. It wasn't like all of a sudden they woke up and they were in sexual sin. It took years of ingrained thinking to get them to the place where they would actually cross certain lines. And in the same way, victory is that way. It will take time for God to change the way you think and to give you Mm -hmm. a pure heart and a pure mind. I like the example Steve uses uh, when he speaks sometimes. He'll talk about the switchboard. You know, inside uh, in all of us is like the switchboard of wires, and right. mm-hmm. uh, the enemy comes in and messes it all up. You know, as we're in pornography or whatever it is we're into, all those wires get mixed up. And then as we spend time in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit comes along and pulls one wire out and puts it back in the right place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the next time we're in the Word of God, he takes another wire, and it just takes a long time to get all those wires put back where they're supposed to be. Right. right. You think about uh, drugs and alcohol. After you've been off of those things for, let's say, a couple of years— they're pretty much out of your system. But mm-hmm. you think about sexual sin and the number of images and the, right. the experiences that are ingrained yeah. that seem to stick with you for a lifetime. And you mm-hmm. have to live a life of uh, controlling your mind and your thinking. These men who come, who are, who are wanting to come out of sexual sin, must realize what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, you have brain damage. <laughs> it's going to take true. years of turning to God and his word and his truth to really come into some sanity and freedom. Yeah. And you mentioned the microwave society. I think one of the reasons that God does take us through this process is that if he were to heal us instantaneously, what would be the great danger of us just as instantaneously going right back to where we came from? That's true. Yeah, tremendous danger because it's almost like, oh, God will set me free. I'll Mm -hmm. just go right back to it because the human heart naturally gravitates toward what the flesh wants and, Mm -hmm. and sin. But it's good that the Lord does do that. He makes a man. I know my own personal experience. I appreciate the difficulty. I appreciate all the discipline from God, that it wasn't an easy thing, that I had to cry out to God and and pray and believe and have faith and wait to watch to see God um, perform a miracle in my heart. And you're not so quick to to let it go. Right. I mean, you, you understand. <laughs> you understand what it's going to cost you to go back there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right. Talk to us, Brad, about how God develops a reliance on him and going through this, as we've already said, sometimes this very painful process. Well, another statement I make in counseling a lot of times is it's un-American <laughs> to rely on God. And God we trust, of course, is all on all our money, but it's un-American to really rely on God or really rely on another person. We Mm -hmm. prefer to be self-sufficient for the most part. Um, But one thing God has to teach every man, every woman, is how to really rely on him and come to a place where, yes, your life is out of control, but even if your life wasn't out of control because of sexual sin, you still need God. You mm-hmm. you have to rely and depend on him. And, and a man who has been in sexual sin or a woman who God brings out, that process of coming out, God is going to teach that person, you need me, whether yeah. you struggle with this or not. Mm-hmm. And you learn to draw close to God. You learn to want to be near him. You learn when you get a sense, I'm away from the Lord, you start seeking him real quick because mm-hmm. you've experienced the blessedness and, and having him and knowing that he's there for you to help you through your trials. There is a real sense, isn't there, Brad, that uh, the sin that we've been involved in, in some sense, really is a blessing right? Uh, in that God uses it to show us that. Right. We, we hear that thundering from the pulpit a lot from <laughs> Mrs. Gallagher. <laughs> that, you know, the sexual sin was God's excuse to get men yeah. to the place that they are where they see their need for him. 
him. And I want to say personally, I'm grateful for it. If I would have spent my life and God would have either let me get away with it or there were no consequences or I didn't have a struggle like this, I doubt if I would have been needy for God. I'd have just lived my life the American way and would have been away from the Lord, wouldn't have known him. And Mm -hmm. who knows where I would have ended up. Well, talking about the way that God does use it, you know, so often those of us who have been in sexual sin, Brad, we come into this change process with the idea that sexual sin is the thing that needs to be changed. Mm But again, the reason that God takes us through this process is because he sees there's much more work to be done. Yeah, he sees the whole picture. Uh, typically, sexual sin, when a man is at his wit's end, is, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Underneath is a solid core of deep-rooted habits and thought patterns that God is, is going after, more so than he is about the outward thing that a person is struggling with. And that's what we try to get the men to see a pure life when they come there. I recall when I <laughs> called in many years ago, I wanted to make sure they could deal with my issues. Right. <laughs> and the counselor right. there was like, listen, just get your things and get here. God will mm-hmm. take care of everything. And when I got it, got to pure life, we didn't sit down and just talk about my little issue and my problems and what happened in my family and my relationship with my dad and my mom and all that. I was led to the Lord and God immediately started dealing with the issues of my heart, namely pride Mm. selfishness, along with lust and the other things that brought me here. I think that's one of the reasons that going through this process can be so painful, because there is a sense of grief in giving up your sin when that sin has so permeated who you are and your identity has been so wrapped up in it. But when you go below the sin and there's all these other issues and all these other things that you've been holding on to, it is very painful to let go of all of that. Right. When when all the props are taken away from you, the things that you have stood on or held on to or gone. You're like, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Well, God comes in and he wants to yes. build a new foundation. Right. You know, That's Amen. the best place, but it is very, very painful. Yeah. And that's what people are afraid of. Because <laughs> right. I think I think in our heart of hearts, we know that has to happen, but we're terrified of that. Right. How important is it, Brad, to fight? You're dealing with guys all the time at different levels, each of them with a different willingness to really do what needs to be done. How important is it for someone coming out of sexual sin to be willing to fight? Uh, very, very important because, uh, once again, we live in a microwave society and we really don't want to fight for much other than our own selfish gain. But when it comes to fighting against sin and seeking to please God, that's something that men have to be trained and encouraged to do. Because in this walk, throughout the New Testament, there is there are references about fighting and striving to enter into the narrow way and fighting against sin, crucifying the flesh, putting off the old man, some tough language. Mm-hmm. Um, for believers that you come to the Lord and you have God does his part, but we have our part. And a large yeah. part is fighting. And the fighting might be getting rid of the Internet, throwing away your TV, cutting loose your friends, mm. staying accountable with someone. That's really what you call fighting mm-hmm. in addition to choosing not to give over. We do kind of have this sense of Christianity today where it's almost like watching television, which is a totally passive act. You sit there and it it feeds you whatever is coming out of it. And we sometimes look at Christianity that way, that if I just kind of sit on the couch and listen to the preacher on Sunday or whatever, that it's all just going to kind of get in me. But Mm -hmm. we really do have a part in that, don't we? Right, exactly. You're in sin. If you're lazy and you're being a slob spiritually, if you're not willing to fight against what's in your heart. James said that if we are just merely hearers of the word and not doers, we deceive ourselves. So if you're just sitting there listening to it, but you're not actually doing what the word of God says, nothing's happening. So often, Brad, I know the question comes up, how long is this going to take? What are some of the factors involved in 
and how long this process does take for an individual. Obviously, one would be, you know, how long they've been in sin. We already Mm -hmm. talked about that. Mm -hmm. But what other factor might be involved with that? Well, another factor would be if the person really is determined to break free at any cost. Sometimes we minister to people, we meet people who, oh, I really want to be free. But then when you lay out a plan of something that might work, you see, well, maybe they're not ready just yet. So often we've had calls uh, from people and we've counseled them to come into one of our programs and they've said, well, I can't do it right now. I got some things going on. And then years later, maybe two to five years later, they come, their lives are worse than ever. Mm -hmm. They wish they would have come. But then they're ready. You right. know, then they're desperate to, to do whatever it takes to break free. But you take a man who is desperate, who really does see his need, who wants more than a quick fix, and uh, if he'll really press into God, then your experience is that God will honor that. God will respond to that. Yes, because God is true to his word. It's just not like the Lord to forsaken someone who is diligently seeking him and striving for righteousness. It's just He's just not like that. So no. there's hope for them. Absolutely. Amen. Brad Burgess, thanks so much for talking to us about why freedom comes slowly. Yeah, thanks for having me. The Apostle Peter wrote, Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering is required of your brotherhood throughout the world. This world is not a playground. It's a battleground. And every Christian should remain in the fight. But we're also reminded by John that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If you're interested in the 20 Truths series, please check out our YouTube channel. And we'd also like to remind you that our DVD curriculum, At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry, is a powerful resource if you're looking to find real, lasting deliverance from sexual sin. Just go to store.purelifeministries.org. That's all for today. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.